Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. He is risen. Yeah, all right. Hey, I want to talk to you this morning about new beginnings. Uh, we all love new beginnings, right? Do-overs, redos, whatever it is, turning over a new leaf, all that idea. I mean, it's, it's fascinating uh, uh, that that somehow we could look back and go, man, I didn't do all that great, and now I get a chance to redo it. Or maybe I messed that up, and now God would say, yeah, I, I think we can redo that one. I mean, we love new beginnings. And, and don't get me wrong, uh, God's offer... Because of his son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross is extraordinary. What he is offering to us is magnificent. He is offering to us extravagant grace, forgiveness of our sins, the removal of baggage of our past, giving a chance to become a new creation in him. He is offering to live with us, to never leave us nor forsake us. He is offering to dwell within us so richly that his power would move through us. He is offering to be there with us every day that all of our chains would be broken and that the captives would be set free. This is really what Jesus is offering to us. And I want us to be very clear on how amazing his offer is. Because the new beginning that he offers is extraordinary. The problem, however, with new beginnings is it necessitates old endings. And that is the part that we seem to blow right past. What we have a tendency to teach here in modern day Christianity in America is that Jesus is an add-on. He's like a steroid. That as you're going through your day, Jesus can build upon your world you created and make you stronger, faster, smarter. But that is not what Jesus is offering. In order to have a new beginning, we have to have an ending of the old. So what then is going to be removed to get that new beginning. That is what I want to speak to you about. God is set on transforming us from what we are now into what he has designed us to be. And he takes this far more seriously than we do ourselves. He will go to extreme lengths to bring about transformation because it's the difference between life and death between glory and the mundane, between purpose and loss. However, we are not cool with change. We are very resistant to change. And and it's not like we're the only ones doing it. It's not like we're the only ones broken. As a matter of fact, a guy by the name of Sir Isaac Newton, we all know him as a childhood guy who got hit on the head with an apple, He came up with certain laws that he saw that were in play in our universe. And he came up with one called the law of motion. This is actually what it says about our universe. Everything continues in a state of rest until it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. Now, a modern day parable version of that would be like this. Some people will change when they see the light. Others change only when they feel the heat. We are even more uncomfortable with reconstruction 
reconstruction. The difference between alteration, renovation, and reconstruction is the degree of how much stuff is being pulled out and how much stuff is being replaced. Upstairs in our house, I don't know how many of you follow me on Facebook or my wife on Facebook, and if you follow her, she'll tell you the truth. If you follow me, I'll tell you something periodically funny. Uh, she she let a, let all of you know that that our upstairs bathroom, little tiny bathroom that our girls share, uh, it flooded. We had a, an internal trigger in one of our our, our toilets. It it just kept running and running and running, and so it overflowed and poured out into the hallway. I mean, it it, it ruined all the floors and poured under the wall and wicked into the other room and all that stuff, right? So we haven't had a, a bathroom for the girls upstairs. So all four of us share the same bathroom and have for a little while now. Now, that's miserable, but you can pray for me later. Uh, if you look at it now, everything was gutted. Everything, it's just a little baby. You know, you look at a bathroom and it looks normal, and then you take everything out and it just looks like a little tiny hole in the wall. And you're going, man, all that stuff fit in that little space? That's crazy. Well, it was completely deconstructed and is being completely reconstructed the tub was gone everything was gone the vanity was pulled out because it was built into the floor the mirrors off the wall the the uh little medicine cabinet was pulled out everything is completely gutted out of the whole place so that's a lot of work hmm Why do we have to go through stuff like that? Why does God need to pull stuff out of our lives? Well, simply put, we don't like what he likes. I know we want to. I know that we're good people. I know that we're sweet. I know that we're kind. I know that we like other people. We're trying to do the right thing. But here's the deal. God loves life-giving things. God loves joyful things. God loves forever things. And we have a different goal in mind. And therefore, we end up doing self-destructive things. Why? Because we're headed towards a different location. We want it now, and we want it to look right, and we want it to feel right. But God is not interested in the immediate. He's interested in the forever. Therefore, he wants to build things that actually matter. He wants to build things that last. He wants to build not just happiness. He wants to build joy. And in order to do that, we are actually building two different kingdoms. He's building one that matters and we're building the other one. And at some point, ours has to come down. And that is the challenge. As uncomfortable with loss as we are, as comfortable, uncomfortable change as we are, we're even more horrified by what we would call total loss or death. But that's exactly what Jesus calls us to do. Die to ourselves and live to him. Man, that's ridiculous. Why in the world should we die? It's interesting. John 12, 23, Jesus answered them, the hour has come that the son of man might be glorified. In other words, Jesus said, now's my time to shine. And he's talking about the cross. If there's ever a time that you don't look very shiny, it's when you're naked hanging on a cross after you've been beaten and tortured. You don't look very glory like. What was he talking about? Well, he followed it up with this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hated his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, well, he's got to follow me. 
Jesus could have kept his life and it would have meant nothing for anyone else. But Jesus gave up his life and it meant a possibility of life for all mankind. So in other words, his glory was in the dying that others might live. There is no glory in merely you surviving. There there is glory in the death of you that God might build something more wonderful in you. That is where the glory comes. Because glory comes with God's stuff. And God needs to root out that which is garbage and replace it with that which is permanent gold. I was reflecting in writing this message on the Beatitudes. Growing up, I did not like the Beatitudes. You all know what these are? Uh, Jesus sat in um, kind of a, a, a natural amphitheater where people sat around and he told this long sermon and most of it is recorded in Matthew chapter 6 and following. And it's the longest recorded sermon we have of Jesus. Well, he starts out with a pretty lame intro in my opinion. And uh, at least that's what I thought when I was growing up. And I was thinking, man, that was really uninspiring, Lord. What are you doing? If you really wanted people to follow you, you don't start out like this. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that are all messed up. Blessed are those that thirst and hunger for righteousness. Blessed are those that mourn. Right? I mean, it's you're like, Lord, you're killing me here. This is not how you get people on board, man. I mean, don't you want to go, man, you follow me. I'm going to give you all kinds of stuff and it's going to be awesome. And Jesus didn't do any of that. He said, you want to talk about what's really going to bless you, man, if you're wrecked. And I was like, dang, not only do I not even like that message. But I don't even understand because as a kid, I'm like, but I'm joyful. Does that mean God's like, all right, dude, lose a smile. Otherwise, we're not going anywhere, right? Or God's just a big bummer. That's not at all what was going on. So what was that about? Why is it blessed are you if you're all messed up? What was his point? Well, I don't know. Let me ask you this. What do children, the oppressed, the wounded, the sad, and the poor have in common? They're willing to give up what they have to get something better. You want to be blessed? Are you ready to start at ground zero? Because everyone else that's doing awesome doesn't want to lose their stuff. So blessed are those that are willing to give it all up. Then they'll really get. Hmm. The fill in the blank on the sheet that was given to you at the front door is this. Just as darkness comes before dawn, so death comes before resurrection. Death comes before resurrection. We all look at the story of people that have been raised from the dead and we're like, man, that's awesome. I mean, probably the most famous guy is Lazarus, right? I mean, four days after the guy dies, he's like dead, dead. He's not like kind of dead. He's like super dead. And Jesus walks up and he says, Lazarus, come out here. Boom, the guy comes walking out. Everyone is astounded and the glory to God rises. The only way that happens is if the dude dies first, right? You can't raise a guy that ain't dead yet. That's not impressive. Hey, Lazarus, come out here. Oh, I was here a second ago. That's not important. But if he's dead, that's a miracle. Death comes before resurrection. Why must we die? Why must we die? Huh? I'll tell you three reasons why we need to deconstruct everything we have made for God to reconstruct in us. Number one, we have created a house of cards that can't handle the weight of glory. Here's what I mean. 
Everything that you have built, I know it looks shiny. I know it looks impressive. I know you may well have your retirement set. I know that other people may look at your work product and be impressed by you. I, I know you may well be respected for it and famous or, or what have you. You might well be wealthy. You might well uh, be appreciated. But it's a house of cards. You built it in a human way. So you built it fast. It just won't stand. Why? Because God's got more and the stuff he builds is heavier. If he puts his mantle of glory on top of your house of cards, it's going to all fall down. You go, what are you talking about a mantle of glory? What are you saying? I'm saying what God wants to do through you is ridiculously powerful. And you gotta have a foundation that can handle it. For example, let's say that God wants to move through you to minister to wounded people. Let's say that He actually gives you a calling in your life and anoints your body that when you see someone hurting or someone wrecked, that He would like to empower you and anoint you to lay your hands on that person and the sick person would become well. The problem with it is that you have built your entire life on being the guy that flirts with everyone, the guy that always has his eyes looking around, the guy that wants everybody to like him, and it would ruin the whole thing. God has to deconstruct that entire identity and rebuild in you something that matters. Let's say God has a calling upon your life to launch missions work in another country. And he is going to save tens of thousands of people through you. Because you're going to go among the poor. And you're going to raise up a mighty movement within the street people. And it's going to absolutely transform a nation. The only problem is you spent all your life building your work here. You have your job here. And there's no way in the world you're ever going to give it up and move somewhere where you got to be poor. God has to deconstruct the entire thing and rebuild because the weight of glory, it just can't sustain it. Y'all understand what I'm talking about. That's number one. Number two, only the empty portion of a container can be filled. What do I mean? Old Testament story, famous story. This woman had so many debts after her husband died that she was going to have to sell her children into slavery. They didn't have anything left but a little bit of oil. They thought it was all going to end that day. God brought a prophet in. The prophet came up to her and he said, what do you got? She said, I got a little bit of oil. He said, good enough. Let's use that. I want you to go to all your neighbors and I want you to grab every possible container that you can. I want you to borrow buckets. I want you to borrow Tupperware. I want you to borrow cups. I want you to borrow whatever you got. I want you to go grab it all, bring it back here, and I want you to pour the oil out into those. Now, it just seems completely absurd. She starts to pour and it starts pouring and pouring and pouring and it fills up a bucket and she sets it aside and she said, grab me another one and it keeps pouring out of this little tiny container. How is that possible? It's called a miracle. She's pouring and then she sets the next one aside and the next one aside and keeps telling her son, bring me another one, bring me another one. Finally, she goes, you got to bring me another one. He goes, we don't have any more. We asked everybody, that's it. And the oil stopped flowing. Now the miracle there, of course, the prophet says, sell all this oil, pay off your debts that you might be set free. That's beautiful. But what I'm telling you is I notice that the oil stops pouring once it's full. 
If you want the Holy Spirit to pour into you and make you a transformed person in Jesus Christ, how in the world is he ever going to fit when you're fully yourself? Only the empty portion of a container can be full. He's not going to pour in when you're already loaded up. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he's got to deconstruct everything to give himself some space. Number three, simply put, his way is just better. Why do we want to trade? Because his way is legit. Because his way is right. His way is good. Your way will lead to regret. His way leads to freedom. Your way will lead to wasted time. His way promises there is no wasted time for those who are in Christ Jesus. Understand, everything he offers is the real deal. It's what you are craving for on the inside. See, satisfaction and fulfillment is in the pocket of God. And therefore, if you build something, you're still going to long for more. If he builds it, it's right. Wow, right? One of my biggest concerns, and it seemed to be a concern of Jesus, is that we're not willing to die fast enough. Now, I can tell you this. You did not think you were going to an Easter service and hearing that. <laughs> hey, it's a fun idea to go to Bridgeway. Wee. I'm concerned you're not going to die fast enough. Why? What do I mean? The parable of the sower. It says a man went out and sowed seed out and the seed is the word of god he said so basically the gospel the good news the truth of the lord he goes out and he sows it some of it bounces over on a rock it's not going to go into the ground too hard of a surface their hearts are too hard he said immediately the bird came down and picked up the seed and it was never allowed to die into the ground he said that's like the enemy that's the devil he just comes in and he's waiting for distractions man he'll nail you right when you hear it and boom he takes it. I don't believe that stuff. That's garbage. Something else is going on. Whatever. And he takes it away. You can't even die fast enough. He said, then some seed bounces over onto the super shallow place where it starts to take root and grow up. There's a little bit of death, but then the sun scorches it and it's no good and withers. Then another piece grows in. It grows a little bit more, a little bit more death, a little bit more. And then the, the thorns come and choke it out. The concerns of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and it chokes it out. And nothing happens. But some bounces over onto soft hearts. Bounces over onto a place where it can grow. And death can take root. And we die to self. And all of a sudden up comes all the harvest. 30, 60, 100 fold. We got to die fast to ourselves. Matthew 4, 16 it tells us in the Bible that Jesus lived in the Galilee area to fulfill a prophecy that the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them light has dawned. And Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Dawn. What happens at dawn? Well, if you're a super Bible nerd like me, you do a Bible study on it. Hey, how many times does the Bible say dawn? How many times does it talk about in the morning? Blah, 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 blah. Right? I did that. Lame, I know. And here's what I found. It was at dawn after one of the most crazy, most disturbing nights ever recorded in the Bible in a place called Sodom. That it was in the morning at dawn when the angel said, we're getting out of here. No more. 
We're not doing this. And they grabbed them by the hand and took them out of the city as God's wrath rained down. It was at dawn that Jericho's walls came down. It was at dawn that Hagar and her son Ishmael were sent out to die, but they found God there and he rescued them. It was at dawn that Abraham took Isaac to be slaughtered and yet God provided a substitution as a sign of the coming Messiah. It was at dawn that a Pharaoh met Joseph because he had troubling dreams and he met his God. It was at dawn that another Pharaoh met a guy named Moses who said, set my people free. It was at dawn after the night of the Passover where so many had been ravaged in Egypt with the death of the firstborn that finally they said, get out of here. And they grabbed all their stuff and marched out at night so that at dawn they walked out for, as free people for the first time in 450 years. What happens at dawn? Everything changes. The most important dawn happened on Easter, Matthew 28, 1. Now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first week, first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. But you see, he's not here, for he is risen. What happened at dawn? All of nature and supernature changed. You took the identity of all those men and women who thought, my Lord is dead. I thought we were going to be this. I thought he was the Messiah. I thought this. And all those doubts and confusion and concerns and everything that had been rattled at the deepest place saying, my Lord is dead. Right then, everything changed. Because the grave couldn't hold him. And Jesus was alive. And what he promises to the children of God is that his mercies are new every what? Morning. Every dawn he has new freedom. Every dawn he has new grace. Every dawn he has new gifts. Every dawn he has new snapping of addiction. Every dawn there is possibility and purpose and meaning. And that is the life of a child of God. But it means a deconstruction of you and I and a construction of him. Hmm. Jake, can you come on up here? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.15, Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Here's what we're going to do. In a moment, we're going to pray, and I'm going to invite up the prayer team, and I'm going to give you a chance to let God deconstruct your stuff. And build his stuff right here at the altar. Why? Because a man named Nicodemus came to Jesus one night. Nicodemus was perhaps the most brilliant of the time. Super educated, religious guy, was a Pharisee, did everything right. He said, you know, me and my buddies have been checking you out, Jesus. And we're pretty sure you have the answer. So how about you let me know? How am I supposed to get to heaven? And Jesus said, well, 
Unless you're born again, nothing's going to happen. I'm sorry, what did you say? I said, unless you're born again, you are not rescued. Born again, I'm supposed to go back into the womb. Not only is that impossible, it's gross. I'm not doing that. What did Jesus mean? Jesus meant, unless you're willing to start all over again, we don't have new life. So who am I really talking to then, right? Unless a grain falls and it dies to itself and it comes alive in Jesus, unless a, a man or a woman is born again, unless we lose our life to Jesus, we never truly live. Who am I talking to? I'm talking to two groups. There are some of you that right now the Holy Spirit is laying on your heart and saying, you have never, ever built anything with me. You built it. Oh, it's pretty. It just can't handle my stuff. And I got to tear it down. There are some of us today that were drawn here by Jesus to start over again. And I mean all over. Those of you who have never said, yes, Lord, I surrender. I give up. I want it your way. That's one group. And then the other group is all of you that are here like me. Where you are rescued, you are saved, you're a child of God. There was a time when you caved and you said, Lord, I give you my all. But the problem is, is that while you've been mostly building God's kingdom, you've also taken a little bit of time to build a side yard. And your own side castle and your own stuff because you see Jesus was all worried about the important stuff and you also wanted the important stuff but you wanted the immediate stuff too and so you built your own little world over here and you're working both that's people like me here's the problem his mantle of glory covers both kingdoms and he's going to shatter the one that you built the Bible says that you get a choice. You either fall on him and be broken or he falls on you and you're crushed. What do we want to do? Up at the altar, it's deconstruction. Could I have the prayer team come on up here? We have assessed and amassed and gathered qualified people to pray with you. They know the Lord. They're gifted. They're anointed. And they're wanting so desperately to pray with someone this morning. And they're up here waiting for you. So here's what we'll do. If I could just have all of us, let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and let's get into the Lord for a moment. Because this altar is now open. I want you to get out of your seat for whatever deconstruction you need and I want you to come up here right now not later right now you know it's you because God has told you what I'm saying is right you know it's you because you're nervous and scared that I'm talking to you and I'm talking to you get out of your seat and come up here 
and just meet with a prayer person. Gather with them. They're already ready for you. They're waiting for you. If you need freedom, if you need life, if you need joy, if you need peace, if you need patience, if you need some type of freedom to deconstruct what you built to build something that matters, I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to come up here. And I'm going to begin to pray for you. If you have to wait for somebody, we got prayer team members all the way across the front. If you got to wait, just wait patiently. They'll get right to you. But I'm going to begin to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are getting out of our seats. Holy Spirit, we are standing up as a sign and a testimony saying less of me and more of you. That we want all the stuff that matters. We want the real forgiveness. We want the real freedom of regret. We want the real baggage taken out of our lives. We want the real gold built in. We want the real future and a hope. Lord, we're tired of relying on ourselves. We're tired of building stuff that doesn't satisfy we are tired of constantly putting ourselves in captivity and you keep setting us free so right here right now lord we say yes we say more of you and less of us we invite you holy spirit to come into this place and to minister to us and so lord would you begin to set us free We own where we're at and we say, absolutely, God, we need your rescue. We need your deliverance. It can't be temporary. It's got to be permanent. And so, Lord, whatever you want, we lay it down before you. And we cry out in the deepest place of our heart for rescue and deliverance. And we say, God, forgive me. Forgive me, God, and allow it all to be washed away. I don't want to think about it anymore. I don't want to have it on my back anymore. And so, God, we say, yes, Lord. We open up every door in our lives and we say, come in, take it all out and rebuild all that is great and mighty. God, that we would have lived lives full of satisfaction and purpose, fulfillment and strength. Lord Jesus, deliver us today. May this Easter be a new beginning. And we mark this is the day we began to walk free. This is the day we began to build things that matter. This is the day that we were saved from ourselves. Please continue to wait patiently as our prayer team is finishing up. But here's what I want to do as I dismiss the rest of you. And I want all of us that are up here to stay up here. I want to pray a blessing over everyone that came today. God has great things for you. So I'm just going to pray a blessing. May God pour out His favor upon you. May He smile upon you and, and may you laugh easy and light today with your family and your friends. May you celebrate brand new beginnings. May you just relish in His mercy that is new for you today. May you feel all the weight that is upon you to just fall off you in the name of Jesus Christ. May there be anything that is hampering you or holding you back. May it all go away. May there be anything that God wants to heal in you right now physically. 
be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. We're talking about whether you walked in with pain, you're walking out without pain. Whether you walked in with confusion and hurt from your past, you'd walk out knit together, feeling free and alive. So I just pray a blessing that everywhere you go with the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and in your life, that everyone you talk to and you touch today is blessed and brought alive around you, that we would spread the glory of God everywhere we go. Be blessed in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week.